When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Enrich your reading life with our Book Riot Insiders perks. We've got three levels to Insiders. There's short story, there's novel, and there's the epic level. And you can try out any level for free for two weeks. For podcast lovers, meaning you, Insiders at the novel and epic level get access to two exclusive shows. There's the Read Harder podcast, which gives recommendations for the Read Harder challenge task by task. And Book Riot Remixed, where we randomly pair up hosts from across our shows to talk about well, whatever we, the hosts, want to. Insiders also get exclusive access to bookish deals, behind-the-scenes newsletters, our new release index, the Epic Book Club, and more. Sign up for your free trial at insiders.bookriot.com. That's insiders.bookriot.com. Hello, and welcome back to When in Romance, where we talk about all things romance, books, people, travesties, all the things. I am Jess. And I am Trisha. And we are recording episode 88 on Thursday, August 5th, 2021. And I have to say, I I think we do talk about people. I think your reference to our discussions of travesty, Jess, might be... Might be a sign of what's <laughs> to come on on today's episode, but we're still excited to be here. We feel we're feeling good. I think this is going to be good. I am partly feeling good because we did get many thanks to Rhonda, who sent us a note after hearing of my love of cowboy slash ranching romances. Sent me uh, a recommendation to check out B. A. Tortuga generally as an author writing these kinds of books, and I think maybe they focus specifically on male male cowboy slash ranching romances which is amazing cuz that's a huge blind spot for me in that subgenre of romance ranching and cowboy related and specifically BA Tortuga's Cowboy's Law Cowboy Logic and wait for it two cowboys and a baby love it did i already buy that one yes i 100% did it is on my e-reader now So thank you to Rhonda for uh, some recommendations. We will, as always, be asking you all for your input and insight, particularly around some of the kind of thorny and not so thorny, but still (laughs) conversations we're having here on today's episode. But we also always just love to hear from all of you about what you're thinking, what you're reading, uh, and what you're thinking about what you're reading. So thank you again to folks who are writing in. Yes, thank you. We appreciate it. And sometimes we start conversations, which is always nice. Indeed we do. Yeah, I think we might even owe a couple of people a couple of emails. So so we'll get there. But uh, thanks to all of you in the meantime. Yes. Well then, before we get into the bookish news from the larger Romance Landia community, why don't you do an ad spot for us? Yes, let's. Many thanks to TBR, Book Riot subscription service offering reading recommendations personalized to your reading life for sponsoring this episode. Want new romance books to read but overwhelmed by all the publishing buzz? Let us help. Tell TBR about your reading likes and dislikes and what you're looking for, and sit back while your bibliologist handpicks recommendations just for you. 
TBR offers plans to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email, so there's an option for every budget. TBR is also available as a gift. And just so you know, if you are listening from somewhere outside of the United States, uh, TBR is available worldwide for recommendations only. Um, hardcovers are available in the U.S. But nevertheless, visit mytbr.co to check out all of the cool and interesting things about TBR. That's mytbr.co. All right. So feel like we might be experiencing a little bit of deja vu, as they say, Jess. Hmm. Not the good kind. Maybe, I don't, is there a good kind? Yeah, there's probably a good kind of deja vu. There's good deja vu. Yeah, this is not that. This is not that. <laughs> the winners of RWA's Vivian Awards were released this week. One of the winners is a book that, I we've just spent so much time talking about this. We kind of don't really want to get into it, but it's a book that kind of romanticizes genocide in a way. It is, there's a real... It's the hero is kind of genocidal. It's there's it's related to indigenous communities. It's a real mess. Sarah Nicholas from Book Riot wrote up a piece on it that we will link to. You and I talked about this, Jess. It feels like there's not a lot to be gained from going back into the details of this happening mm-hmm. all over again, as much as it might be worth thinking and talking a little bit about why it is very clear that RWA at this point is not coming into any kind of improvements right like it's we've been talking about this and re-talking about it and talking about it over and over again and the improvement is not there it is in other places which i think is also worth talking about and and sort of figuring out what the difference is there but at this point i mean is there any reason not to kind of be done with rwa i mean it's quite possible there are a lot of people who decided to sit back this year and see what the revolutionary new leadership in rwa was going to do to change the face of the organization, and maybe we'd see some return to it by people who felt like they weren't represented or actually being harmed by the membership. But one of the problems with RWA, and especially the now Vivian, uh, formerly Rita, kind of still Rita situation, is that authors have to enter their own books to be considered. And if the people entering their books are members of the organization who are not writing inclusively, who are writing harmfully, then we're not going to see any change in inclusion and lack of harm. Uh, So it's, it's one of those things where it's kind of like, And I am not saying that people should have remained in the organization to continue to be harmed. I'm saying that the organization as a whole is kind of a sinking ship in the case of doing what the new leadership desired of it when that populace isn't part of the membership. So as long as the membership, for one thing, doesn't care about the fact that a book that was a finalist... (laughs) This this like this conversation happened when it finaled, mm-hmm. and then of course happened again when it won because it got through three rounds of judging, and apparently that was a whole situation too. Like I I 
am not part of the membership, so I was not part of the conversation about how any level of judging had objection to it and was not heard, or not even not heard, not listened to. I don't know. I don't claim to know. I am not versed enough in that conversation to have a point of view on it. But there are a lot of people who, as we saw it, well, if you are on Twitter, you saw in the conversation in the day following the announcement and the day following RWA's response to it, that there are a lot of people who, one, see no harm in the book, and they're members of RWA, or two, don't care, because the purpose of the book is fulfilled in the person who is genocidal finding God or religion or whatever. Uh, yeah. I mean, so- I think, yeah, I think the point that you and I kind of both have been thinking through is, you know, there were people who stayed with RWA with an intention of fixing this. And I think many of them gave it their best effort. I, but at this point, I think that that interest in kind of not throwing the baby out with the bathwater, sorry, that might be a terrible term. But I mean, at this point, it's all bathwater, right? Like, it's too bad because RWA, I mean, like, think about the speeches that Sonali Dave and Beverly Jenkins has mm-hmm. won a Lifetime Achievement Award. Like, there are things that make you think like, oh, this organization could be great or could have been great or maybe there was greatness. That time has come and gone. And mm-hmm. so I think one of the kind of interesting things to me is that it's so – RWA has been very static. It has been very kind of stuck in this place of not being able to fix these awards and not being able to address some of the major issues that we saw at the end of 2019. And yet, in other avenues or areas of romance, we have seen improvement. You know, we talked about the diversity report that the Rip Bodice publishes, and and there are many problems inherent in that. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that it has shown is that there has been an increase in some publishing houses of books by non-white people. Mm -hmm. And I think... We have seen that. We have seen better representation in things like the Goodreads Choice Awards. Like, we've seen some growth. There's still so much to do. And I'm not trying to, you know, pat anybody on the back for doing, like, the absolute less than bare minimum that's still an improvement over the less than less than bare minimum. Mm-hmm. But I, it's interesting to me, Jess, and I wonder, I'm thinking kind of about why, and I wonder if, ugh, can it be possible that, like, Twitter or social media have brought some level of improvement because they brought some level of accountability? You know, like, even in the time that we've been doing this podcast, we've seen changes. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if it's because people can't necessarily hide behind these kinds of things anymore. When this happens, there's a huge uproar on social media, and people know about it immediately. I mean, it's quite possible. And it's interesting because, like, there are some of us who live so thoroughly on social media that we forget that there are so many people who don't. And I think part of it is that there's a large collection of the membership of RWA who doesn't. And like, I sort of, I've sort of been thinking of that even in local chapters as kind of, I hate to say it because it's a, it's a bad riff on a different group of people as like the, ladies version of the old boys club where like there isn't much change it's a lot of homogeneity um whereas in like the spoonies and other things that are really driven by social media there is a lot of a diverse populace who are putting their own ideas to it 
And even to go back on what I was saying about the fact that the Ritas and now the Vivians, which are sort of still the Ritas, authors have to put it in their own books. So if people are deciding not to present their work, we don't see them. Whereas all of these sort of crowd-driven, um, social media-guided, data-driven, almost groups, organizations, studies, awards show so much of a broader concept of what romance is and what's available in a romance because there are all of these different people putting in their thoughts. And that's informing publishing to some extent. And, you know, we've talked about how a lot of the best stuff that's happening is happening in self-publishing because there isn't that that gatekeeping. There isn't that mm -hmm. two and a half year journey that goes from selling a book to publishing it and all of that stuff. Yeah. But there is still something to be said about publishers starting to do below the bare minimum when it comes to actually acquiring authors, some of whom have self-published and shown how awesome their work is and brought with them their audience to the traditional publishers. So there's there's this really interesting idea of the old girls club. I ugh, I hate hate calling it that, but like <laughs> it's kind of what's going on there. And the sort of like Gen Z romance universe. I know that it's not just Gen Z because neither of us are Gen Z, but it seems like there are a lot of pretty young people who are sort of leading this new era, even as there are millennial and Gen X and even some boomer authors who are trying to change things from within or to influence from without. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I also think, though, that you can't kind of diminish the, and I don't think you are doing this, but I, I think it's important to kind of also recognize the fact that where the publicity and public kind of attention on a lot of these books is has changed. Mm -hmm. In the time, you know, in the last three years, we've seen Entertainment Weekly introduce a regular romance novel review column. Mm -hmm. We've seen the New York Times go from whatever that was, the first year, <laughs> like the fall of 2017 or 2018. It was messy. I, I want to say it must have been 2018 because we talked about it, I think. And mm -hmm. regardless, uh, it didn't go over well no. um, to having a, a couple of different columnists now who have uh, covered the topic. We've seen, you know, that kind of we're seeing the, the influence of like Shondaland and, and mm -hmm. different other avenues that romance novels are being covered as a genre, as a legitimate genre in a way that they haven't been before. Mm -hmm. And that coverage is targeted not toward weird, awful, genocidal heroes in anything. You know, I think... Mm -hmm. Publishing houses are starting to realize uh, that the money is with authors like Jasmine Guillory and Helen Wong and Courtney Milan and Rebecca Weatherspoon and Alyssa Cole and, you know, like all of these folks. It's not to say that, you know, again, there's still so much more work that needs to be done in terms of a lot of these authors who have been marginalized for so, so long. Mm -hmm. But when you look at what books are being published in trade paperback and sold for 12 to $15 a copy, mm -hmm. there's a real change over what was kind of the most marketed, most promoted books from from a few years ago. And I think some of that does have to do I think there's, it just seems to me like there's kind of multiple dimensions of influence. Some of it is younger readers, some of it is new publications, some of it probably is social media, some, you know, I think it's coming from a lot of different directions. And I think the difference between what you're seeing there versus something like RWA is that 
there is no external accountability for RWA. Mm-hmm. And so there's not going to be a push for change in any place that doesn't have external accountability. Like, it's just the reality. Yeah. In fact, RWA is supposed to be the external accountability. <laughs> but Whoops. That- <laughs> I think we just identified the flaw in that plan. <laughs> yeah, really. Like, there was a lot of talk about having for for authors this is a little inside baseball for for readers but you know for authors having an organization that is actually doing its calling of being an advocate for authors being paid like i think there's still some dream spinner authors who have not been paid like oh, yeah. like yeah an organization for that because if publishers are not doing what they're supposed to do, then the R- RWA should be the one doing the Rebonis's work of doing an even broader study of diversity and romance. Like they should be the ones doing the work of looking at publishing and making sure that everything is on an even scale. But unfortunately, everyone else has to hold RWA accountable for falling into the same pit over and over again. And with that, uh, <laughs> no, I mean, I think that's, I think it's, it is interesting to kind of, uh, it's infuriating to have to go back to the same specific players and the same specific things happening over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. But I do think it is interesting to, to have a little bit more time now than we did say in late 2019 or early 2020 or whenever the most recent situation, let's call it with RWA was mm-hmm. to be able to say, okay, so, like, what? why are we seeing change in some places and not others? And I think for me, at least, it's even more kind of looking at it with that lens or thinking about it in that way is even more reason to sort of say, okay, this change is not coming. Mm-hmm. So, so farewell. And let's hope to not talk of it again. Ugh. I think you might have just jinxed it. But uh, we'll, no. see. we'll see. We'll I'll, see. I'll knock on my bookshelf. Oh, perfect. Oh, perfect. All right. We actually have another sort of, um, I'm not going to say frustrating, I'm going to say um, complex. Complicated, yes, exactly. Complicated, complex discussion in romance. But before we do get into that, I would like to ask you this question, Jess, and mostly everyone listening, because you know, you you already know this. (laughs) Did you know that Book Riot has over 25 newsletters covering every genre, as well as book news and deals? Well, we do. So sign up for book deals to get notified about the best book sales of the day, handpicked by our editorial staff. You can also sign up for Today in Books, our daily newsletter summing up the most interesting headlines from the book world every day. Get the Riot Roundup, our roundup of the news content going up on bookriot.com every day, or our new books exclamation point. It's actually just the punctuation mark. I I added that in. I wanted you to know. It's New Books newsletter that compiles a list of the week's most exciting new releases and comes to you every Tuesday. We also have got newsletters for horror fans, romance readers, as many of you probably know, mm-hmm. YA lovers, mystery thriller aficionados, and more. Just go to bookriot.com slash newsletters to sign up for the newsletters that are most interesting to you. That's bookriot.com slash newsletters. Hooray for that and boo for this. Uh, I'm going to let you kind of explain what happened with this one, Jess, because you have read the book in question and I, much to the dismay of me, was not actually able to, to finish it while on vacation this last week. Okay, so as some of you might know, Helen Wong's 
third book is coming out at the end of this month. It's called The Heart Principle. And there was a Kirkus review about it, which sort of questioned whether or not we could actually call this book a romance. And uh, Helen, bless her, actually posted the review with sort of an apology to her readers about the fact that it was such a... I don't want to say traumatic read because I didn't I didn't feel traumatized reading the book, but it was such a, a heavy and hard book around story, around the romance that was that she wrote. And it was it was one of those moments where it was like an author having to say something like that because she wrote the story of her heart as a romance led to the idea and the other thing that the review said was that the fact that especially Anna, the protagonist, left the at the end of the book without being, I guess, fully healed or, or whatever, because the story deals with grief and personal discovery and family and toxicity in relationships and being yourself and presenting yourself to your family when you've never been able to do it before. There's a lot of stuff in this book. And I, you know, I don't recall every detail because I read it in a fever dream in a number of hours because it was that good, y'all. And yes, there is some disconnect between the cover, which is gorgeous, but also not quite indicative of what you're going to get inside. So I get, does that sum it up, Trisha? I think so. Okay. Yeah, I think, and it's hard to know exactly, you know, a Kirkus is, is a book review site. Well, I think they maybe do more than that, but I think of them as a book review site. And one of the things that they do not do is publish the name of the specific reviewer. Mm-hmm. It may well be the case that there are some edits after the fact. It may well be the case that, you know, this review doesn't fully express what the reviewer was trying to get across. I, it, it absolutely may also be fully accurate and, and represent exactly that reader's experience. Mm-hmm. So I, I do want to, for my part, and I, I certainly won't speak for you, Jess, I, I do want to make clear that for me, this idea that grief or suffering... So, so the vital line in the review is, grief and suffering make for an emotionally moving novel, but without fully exploring healing and recovery, is it a romance? And I think that is the the piece where a lot of people are kind of really zeroing in on what is being said in that relatively short sentence. I will link to this review in the show notes so that people can kind of get a sense for what we're talking about. We don't always we don't always uh, link to something that we have this many concerns about, but I do want to fairly represent this perspective. I think the questions that I have, Jess, and I will say that I have not read this book. Yet, I'm about four chapters in, but I haven't finished it. But I do think that question being posed not only in the last sentence of the review, but also as the pull quote at the top of the review makes this a larger question than just about the heart principle. Mm-hmm. And I think there are a lot of, I think this raises a lot of questions for me. Like, I don't know why. If someone is reviewing for Kirkus, I would like to think that they have enough of a perspective on romance to understand that there is romantic comedy, which is a subgenre of romance, mm-hmm. 
And then there is romance that comes from many, many other angles. A lot of the best romance I've read is not comedic. Mm-hmm. And I think romance also does not necessarily resolve and actually shouldn't resolve all of the non-relationship issues at the end of the book. The idea that people would be sort of healed by love or sex or a relationship or whatever else is actually, I think, very, very dangerous. I think Mm -hmm. the idea of romance being for everyone means that it's for everyone where they are, as long as they are willing to kind of put the work into the relationship. But it doesn't, you know, you can be dealing with trauma or mental health issues or physical health issues or disabilities or any number of things and still be very much deserving of love and romance. Again, as long as you're not a Nazi or genocidal. That's like the one rule. Mm-hmm. So it's strange that we have to talk about both of these things on this podcast today, but here we are. And so I don't know, I guess there was a lot of pushback. There was a lot of pushback in kind of, I think it's fair to say the romance community that we follow. Mm-hmm. And I I don't know, I think it just it feels so it feels so tone deaf. I mean, I, I was happy to see the pushback because it made me think like the reviewer is kind of an anomaly or, or whoever put it together or pieced it together from Kirkus is the anomaly as opposed to those of us a little bit maybe more engaged in romance. But I it just it struck me as so strange that that would be the perspective that without full healing and everything being wrapped up in every dimension of a book in a happy little box, then something doesn't count as a romance. I don't know. It just really struck me as odd. Yeah. And I think like, I did see that pushback, although I did see some people who who I follow and whose opinion I respect sort of not waffling, but saying that, you know, while the way that the review was was written was like, not quite their point of view that the the elements of this particular story made it so they didn't see it as a romance even if they thought it was a very good novel and mm-hmm. like i i totally understand that there are people who are reading a romance for a relationship and if the front and center actions of the story are not the relationship like wrong number right woman right like we were talking about how like the only thing happening in that Mm -hmm. story is the relationship and that's like i understand that there are people who read for that but sometimes like i think we've talked about this before atricia like i want to see each individual person in a relationship experiencing the space and growth they need to be the best partner they can be for the people that they end up in love with and together with at the end Mm-hmm. And in a book like this, maybe that doesn't involve overcoming your grief that you are still experiencing from something that did not happen that long ago. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, you know that you know that you have grief and you're looking forward to fixing it. Like that that's happened in in several stories that we've read that have any element of losing a family member or losing a friend, or experiencing a friend breakup, or moving Mm -hmm. away from home, or getting a new job, or anything that comes with change that has to happen in a story for someone to become the person that they're meant to be. That doesn't mean that they're fully healed, and, you know, that they didn't just experience a lot of trauma 
and we experienced it with them, even though I said I didn't want to call the heart principle specifically a traumatic read because it's not. Yes, I was crying, but most of the time the tears were during like really like emotional, wonderful moments. So just be prepared for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's hard. It's it's really hard to figure out how to explain that a person should not be healed because they're in a relationship now. Like I know that there are books that we we both might have read and some of some of our listeners might have read where it's like someone is dealing with a mental health issue and then they have a lot of sex and experience a bit of light dominance and suddenly they're ready to move on with their life. Um, without the word therapy coming up anywhere. Mm-hmm. But but that, like, that is sort of a level of contemporary fantasy that I don't see in some of these novels that are really trying to bring us real people who have real issues and real mental processes to help us get through things. Yeah. And I do, I mean, I think that there is a read of this as well, that that there's a concern that the book represents the idea that the full exploration of healing and recovery isn't happening because there's a focus on the relationship instead. But I that almost is more confusing to me because it's a romance. So mm-hmm. I, yeah, I don't know. I need to like let the specific book piece go, I think for now. Um, but I will say one of the other things that this review comments on and that I think we have talked about a little bit is that it seems that Anna, who is one of the main characters, is really the heart of this story and that Quan, who is the other, we hear less from and focus less on. Mm-hmm. I think I think a lot about point of view in romance and in books and I don't think it's super uncommon and actually I, and I, this is a dual POV book. Mm-hmm. You hear more from Anna than you do from Quan, but it is dual point of view. There are a lot of good romances out there that are single narrator books mm-hmm. that that do focus more on one character than the other. And and I don't think that in any way diminishes a romance standing. And I will say, I think maybe part of this ties into one of the things that I like about romance is that it is so often written in a series mm-hmm. that even as a series might move on to a different couple, you still get a sense for what's going on with the couple that you last heard about, right? So you may find out about some of that healing that has continued or some of the therapy that has continued or some of the struggle that has continued. Mm-hmm. I think about, you know, like Alyssa Cole's Off the Grid series, which takes place in sort of a post-apocalyptic kind of world. And although the three books in that series all focus on different couples, it's all about kind of recovery in a lot of ways and mm-hmm. the ways that different people are coming at that in different places, both sort of geographically, but also mentally and emotionally. And I think that's really interesting. I think, you know, I've talked about the Blessing series by Beverly Jenkins, which is technically not romance, because the romances are not always central in those stories, but Mm -hmm. there are huge romantic elements. And again, you're following the same people and seeing the character growth and seeing the challenges and seeing that. And and I really appreciate that. Or The Virgin River books by Robin Carr are, are very similar in that way, that you see the same characters. And I really value that and like that a lot. But it's not inherent to what is or is not a romance. Yeah. And it's it's funny you mentioned Alyssa Cole, because the loyalty books are the same way. Like, 
each central couple is kind of, I mean, they're, they're dealing with a war, right? But they're also dealing with um, things that have happened in the past. And while um, in an extraordinary union, Malcolm's dealing with stuff that we didn't see, we get to see as the series progresses, people who we've met before dealing with things that have happened in previous books. So yeah, it's the, the same kind of thing where we might not know that something has completely wrapped itself up at the end of a single book, but we get to sort of revisit our favorites as things move along. Well, and I think, you know, it's it's important for people to know what they need to know and about any book, right? Which is why content warnings are so helpful. Mm-hmm. But I do think it is unreasonable to put an expectation on an author that they need to clarify whether their book is comedic or to what degree it's comedic or what to what degree you know i think we should not assume certain things about romance just because they are categorized as romance and you know i think uh we'd be we'd be very interested to hear what all of you think about this as well yes especially if you read like a lot of the stuff from the early 2000s especially like new new adult and what would be classified as new adult now that i read when i was really digging digging into romance it's all this kind of person figuring themselves out dealing with awful situations that may or may not help or hinder their romance and figuring all of that out while falling in love with somebody. And we really didn't like, there have always been comedies, but we didn't move into this whole thing where everything is a rom-com until very recently. So if you've been reading long enough, or have explored the backlist of what contemporary romance was a decade ago, um, or 15 years ago, where it was very, very serious. We definitely love to hear your thoughts on this idea of healing and progress being the only way to end a story. And I think, you know, when we were talking about how to kind of talk and think about recommendations in this episode, we were talking about some of the books that we've read or or seen that involve some kind of trauma or pain or struggle or challenge that is not fully resolved by the end of a book. Even if the relationship is, is strong and thriving, it is very human to be continuing to deal with some of those things. And I will tell you, Jess, as, as I mentioned to you before we started recording, I almost kind of intentionally picked some books and authors that we've talked about before because... It just seemed so clear to me as I was looking back through my books that so many of the books that involve trauma and healing and crisis and these different kind of health issues or, you know, are by queer authors or authors of color or Mm -hmm. about queer couples. Um, And so, I don't know, like I said, the ones that we've talked about are are some that jumped out to me because I felt kind of important to remind folks of the fact that these stories are not only part of the romance genre, they are so core to it that we talk about them a lot. So I'll just do a a few quick mentions. And then I know you've got some that that we have not talked as much about. But the, well, basically anything by Sonali Dave. Uh Uh-huh. But in particular, Recipe for Persuasion, which is a favorite of mine that I've talked about, you know, both Ashna and Rico are dealing with family loss. They're dealing with a variety of different issues. There's 
anxiety issues. There's just a lot going on there. And again, that could be said of basically anything by Sonali Dave, but Recipe for, for Persuasion is one that it's very clear to me that although the relationship ends happily and is going really well, there still is a lot of, of trauma there that has to be overcome. I would say basically the entire Sedgwick series by Cat Sebastian. Uh, it starts with It Takes Two to Tumble um, that we've talked about. There is recovery from abuse. There is recovery from toxic parenting. There is everybody in this series basically is dealing with some kind of crisis or trauma or health issue or both or all of the above. And again, these books are so character focused that a lot of it is about the healing, but in no way does Sebastian ever suggest that these characters are healed by the romance. It's just that they have found some support in trying to work through some of these things and in realizing that they have to work some through some of these things. So again, that's the Seducing the Sedgwick series by Cat Sebastian that starts with It Takes Two to Tumble. And the last one that I will mention is one that we've talked about, but maybe not for a while, and that's The Right Swipe by Alicia Rye. This is a book that has, I mean, both characters are plagued by family issues, by one of them is, is, is dealing with family who have had to deal with traumatic brain injuries. Another, the other character is dealing with kind of toxic professional relationships and the impact of that. There are anxiety issues here as well. There's just a lot of struggle and that exists in a very human way, along with the fact that this relationship is very healthy and thriving by the end. Uh, it takes a little while to get there. That's how romance works. But that's The Right Swipe by Alicia Rye. And again, I know that these are books and authors that we've talked about, but I was just so struck by how many of the books that we talk about do have some of these issues of trauma and, and crisis that, that are not wrapped up in a bow, despite the fact that the books do have a happily ever after. So yeah, I don't know. I, I got... I got kind of worked up about it, Jess, but but those are some books. Now you have some books too, I think. I do. And uh, the first one is actually a book that I have never talked about on the podcast because I don't think I've finished it before the last time we talked about anything besides Wrong Number, Right Woman on the podcast. But And it is very different from these, and it is actually a not a book by a queer author or an author of color. And that's Flowers from the Storm by Laura Kinsale. And the reason that I wanted to bring this up is to maybe remind some people who maybe have read this, that this is not a new thing that we're talking about here, where people are going through a lot of stuff while also dealing with a romance. And this is a historical romance. It was written in the 90s. And it um, features the male protagonist. I actually wasn't sure if I was going to like him because we were introduced to him sleeping with another man's wife who is also pregnant with his baby. That's in the prologue, so I'm not giving anything away. But he has a stroke and is put in a, a an institution, I guess is the best word for it. And our female protagonist is a Quaker, which is like, when do we get Quaker protagonists in romance? I was fascinated just by like what that was going to do. And yeah, good call. Yeah, right. So and you know, they both have a lot to overcome to not only reach the happily ever after, but to sort of like I, like I said before, become the right partner for the person they're in love with. And there's a lot of stuff that I don't want to talk about because it's it, like 
you have to really experience it. But getting each of their point of view, because this is a dual point of view story as well, especially one where one of them doesn't understand the other, which happens both ways, actually, is, you know, you're you're in it and you're kind of in their heads and you're trying to, you're hoping for them. But like, they're both in situations that can't be cleanly resolved. Um, and one of them is because of their faith and one of them is because of their whole body. So it's it's one of those stories where there isn't the miracle baby at the end. I mean, I don't mean miracle baby as an actual baby, but, you know, we talk about... Have we talked about miracle babies, Trisha? I think in passing on recommendation shows, but I don't think we've actually gotten all the way in. Okay. So... Now we know. It might be time. Yeah. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with the Miracle Baby idea uh, concept, there, there are stories where the protagonist is unable to have children for some reason or the other, and there's an epilogue in which something happens and they are either pregnant or giving birth, or have given birth and they're talking about their child or children. And I sort of use it as a, as a catch-all for easy-peasy, tied-up resolution in a historical romance, especially. But I don't think I'm giving it anything away when I say there isn't a miracle baby at the end of Flowers from the Storm. So that's Flowers from the Storm, which is an amazing novel. I'm not, I, I want you to read it. And I want you to read it sort of with the heart principle in mind because of how we talked about the heart principle and how people talk about flowers in the storm. But that's another soapbox for another day. I did want to toss out the idea of Seven Days in June by Tia Williams, which I have not finished, but, and I actually wasn't sure if this was actually a romance novel or something that could count as a romance until I saw some reviews from some very trusted people who determined that it was a romance. And then I read the last two pages just to make sure. And thank you for for doing that, for that, that work for us, Jess. We appreciate it. I, I Sometimes it's just like, let me make sure because I definitely- It's important to know. I have picked up a book that was touted as a romance novel. And I, I, I was reading and I was like, I'm not sure. And then I read the end and was like, nope, putting this down. But mm-hmm. anyway, back to, back to Seven Days in June. When we talk about trauma- like, I have only gotten about 80 pages into this book, and there has there has not been any active trauma, but each of the main characters has a lot of baggage. And from what I can see, what's going to happen in the next six days, because I've reached the second day, because it really is seven days in June, is that they are going to work through it. And that is going to cause a lot more trauma with each of them individually and with the two of them together before they can get to the end. And I am looking very much forward to it because these people are compelling AF and I want to I want to know their story. So that's seven days in June. I just wanted to throw out sort of similarly to Trisha Roan Parrish as an author. Yep. As any any representation, if you look at the Rend trilogy, like all the sobbing, all of the heart murmurs and like bursting and if you look at in the middle of somewhere so much that each of them has to go through if even if you look at better than people like if look at look at simon and better than people and like anything that roan Parrish writes i am ready for all of the angst 
and and I'm ready for people who are doing their best. And that that's what we can say about a lot of the people in all of these books that we're talking about. By the end of the book, they're doing their best. And it's yeah. not going to be a complete overcoming of whatever they were dealing with in this story, because sometimes it is a chronic issue. Yeah. And it's not like somebody is just going to suddenly have a personality change or a physical human body change or a neurological change by the end of the book. It's just that everyone understands them better. They understand themselves better and they know what they have to do to move forward. And like, I know that the, the Kirkus review that we were talking about sort of says that there is a lack of the idea of healing and moving forward, but I don't think that that is true at all. Well, I think we have done a great job today of, of expressing some strong opinions, Jess. I think we have. <laughs> Perhaps my strongest opinion of all is that I'm so glad that this is turning into the When in Romance Summer of Roan Parish. <laughs> I don't know that we have gone a full episode since the end of May without mentioning something by Roan Parish, and I'm here for it. Yes. Because that was actually on my list, too. And then I was like, no, I think we've talked about our own parish book in every episode. So I'm glad that you were like, no, we're still doing it. We're here. <laughs> Summer of Roan. Summer of Roan. Uh, all right. We did talk about a lot of different things. And I think it is fair to say, just that you and I both are comfortable hearing from people who disagree with yes. what we're thinking. You know, we're, we, we do think a lot about these things and we talk about them before we record and we, you know chat about them even before that. But uh, so it's not, you know, we're not coming into this without sort of having put a lot of really intentional thought into this stuff. But a lot of it is also very complicated. And so mm -hmm. whether you are on the same page as us or not, or some of both, um, we, we very much are interested in what you all are thinking about. Yes, yes, we are. And I, I, I was really passionate this episode. So I'm sorry if I came across a, a little over the top. But I still want to hear anything that you have to say, even if it is completely opposite of what I have said. I love opinions. <laughs> also, I think I speak for all of us when I say we are here for the Jess Pride passion. <laughs> here for it. Also, our audio editor probably will be too, because you'll probably be like really strong in your audio. I hope so. Here for it. Speaking of which, huge thanks to our wonderful audio editor, Jen Zink. Uh, if you do have those thoughts and opinions to share with us, like I said, we're very, very open to it. You can find us at always at whenandromance at bookriot.com. You can find me, Trisha, on Instagram mostly, sometimes Twitter at Trisha Haley Brown. And you can find me on Twitter at Jess's Reading, all one word, and on Instagram at Jess underscore is underscore reading. And thank you, uh, as always, to everyone who rates and reviews the podcast. It helps other folks find us and our passion. <laughs> And I think, oh, you know what we should do next time, Jess, is pick a, another book club book. I think we should. All right. Well, and since we're kind of in charge now, we can just do it. So that's great. Yep. Uh, all right. Uh, anything else, Jess, that we're missing for today? Nope. I think that's it. Well, okay, then. <laughs> I'll let you close us out. All right. For everyone out there, if you are reading, and I hope you have gotten the chance to, happy reading. Happy reading.